Oh, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Playful Podcast. So thrilled to be introducing you today to another CEO. It's our CEO season. And Sarah Hacky Bird is with us today. She is the CEO of Women Moving Millions. She has got a quarter century of work in the change sector in lots of different issue areas and then bringing that all together with her work at Women Moving Millions. In fact, they have moved a billion dollars uh, since their founding in 2007. And she'll tell you all about that. And we're going to talk about play and we're going to eat some ice cream. Glad you're here. Nonprofit and philanthropic leaders devote their lives to the service of others, but sometimes they need a little help. Christine Mitchie has been deep in the work and the play of helping changemakers grow their impact for decades. So whether you're ladling soup at a local shelter or attending a UN peace conference, you need to find the balance between the heavy work and a light touch so you don't burn out. And Christine believes play is at the center of that. Welcome to the Playful Podcast, bringing fun to the serious work of changing the world. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Playful Podcast and especially welcome to the CEO season as we're continuing these conversations with wonderful CEO changemakers, leaders in the change sector. And Sarah Hacky Bird is with us today. She is the CEO of Women Moving Millions, which just is alliterative and awesome. And I can't wait to have the audience hear all about it. Thanks, Sarah, for joining us. And I'm going to start you out with, you know, for sure, do a quick hello. And then would you Round out your introduction by telling us the most playful person you know. Well, uh, yes, absolutely. And I'm so excited to be here today. And I've just been listening to all your podcasts and just getting ready to have this playful conversation. So I can't wait to dig in. So a little bit about myself. As you said, I'm currently the CEO of Women Moving Millions, and I've been in this role for five years, but I've been working in the nonprofit sector for almost 25 years. Boston um, is where I started my career, did a little swing in DC, and I'm currently in New York City, where I've been for the last 12 years or so. And I live here with my amazing husband, who of course is the most playful person I know, who keeps me on my toes and has I think a real adventurer spirit. And so we've been together for 17 years. And yeah, I think we have just this wonderful relationship around exploring, doing new things. And by the way, living in New York City is a great place to play. <laughs> Lots to do here. So I feel like, you know, it's the thing that keeps us in this this crazy city is um, is just that there's endless opportunities for new discoveries, learnings, meeting new people, all of those things. Oh, I so agree. I, I was with another guest recently. We were in New York um, recording and he's a florist and he opens up his florist shop and his floral studio to the community to come in and experience flowers and beauty. And he also goes out into the schools and teaches young, uh, you know, K through 12 kids about flowers. And he was talking about how he sees New York entirely as a bouquet and thought, what a great vision. And I, next, and I got on the subway after spending time with him and I looked around the car and I'm like, oh yeah, for sure. It is a bouquet. And I, <laughs> and I think that echoes what you were saying about being in, in that. And if you have a playful spirit, how everything about New York, even the hard stuff can be playful. Oh my gosh, that's, first of all, that's so New York. I just love that story. And I think the beautiful thing about being in this city is people are just doing the most unique things you never even knew or thought 
to know before <laughs> and seeing things in different ways. And it's also this, you know, it truly is this melting pot of cultures and people bring all their, you know, experiences. And so it's just really rich and feels very, you know, generative and dynamic and it's never the same. And, and I do love that. I, I do too. So I want you to tell me if I'm right about something. So Women Moving Millions is a, and, and not that I'm testing myself on, on this specific, but I've got a premise that I want to test with you, but it's a, a donor collective, a donor group of women that come together, um, pool their money. And both the source of funds is women and the use of funds is women, women and girls grant making in that space. And I'd love you to tell us about that. And as you do on the playful premise that I wonder about is, is there an underlying premise that women are potentially more playful with their money, with their philanthropy, and maybe more playful as problem solvers. And I wonder if, if I got anything right about that, that you can illuminate for us more. Yeah. Well, I feel like my work is done here. I feel like you pulled it together really nicely. Yeah. We're this Women Moving Millions is this incredibly vibrant, dynamic community of almost over 400 women globally who have all prioritized giving to women and girls in their philanthropy. So every member to be part of the community makes a bold million dollar commitment, which can be time horizoned over 10 years. And they direct the giving. Um, we're not a foundation or fund. And then they are part of this amazing community of women who have a shared commitment to gender equity. And, you know, as an organization, we really see our role as, you know, first, you know, building up this supportive peer network and, you know, serving as a as a really important convener of not just our members, but leaders and, you know, working on the front lines of different issue spaces that intersect with gender and bringing everybody together to learn from one another. And when I started this, this work five years ago, I, you know, I, I had come out of the, I'd been working in a, an organization seeking to end sexual and domestic violence um, and was in that work during a time in which, you know, Me Too and Time's Up and, you know, you have these moments where you just kind of like, you just never think you're going to get it again. And you just kind of throw yourself into that work. And at the time, they're just like, you weren't seeing additional money flow to the movement. You know, when I, thought about women moving millions. This is where I want to be spending my life energy. I thought, yes, it is. Because if we can make sort of the fiber optics of the movement work between funders and leaders on the front lines and serve as that bridge between the two, the movement will be more effective, will make more progress. And so we really see as our, I guess, our, our theory of change is that by bringing women together, in community, something really special happens. And when you do it with shared ambition and shared vision, you're able to make that change. So we think it's really important as part of our responsibility as an organization to educate our members on the issues that are impacting women and girls most. And so that's where the sort of partnership piece comes from and bringing those people together, those incredible leaders in conversation with our members to inform their philanthropy. So it's really, you know, the peer network, the learning that allows in this supportive safe space that allows for, I think, you know, women to be more vulnerable together to explore some of the challenges that they are facing as they think about the expression of their leadership, as they think about moving resources for impact and allows them to kind of 
come together and to collaborate and some cases move money together in some cases not and to that sort of experimentation i think is essential in order to really take risk and and move money and i think that's also where the play kind of happens right which is let's try that and like if it doesn't work it's okay we're you know we're going to we're going to try something new and it's this you know philanthropy is this iterative learning journey that should be to change over over time and and at the end of the day, I think staying on, you know, staying in touch and in proximity to how the movement is moving is important. But also, I think anytime you pull women together, you're going to have a little fun. You got to find the joy in it. These are really tough issues. Um, yeah. And like joy is so important. So, you know, we're digging into serious issues. And then also, you know, we might go to a Broadway play together. <laughs> and all of that works to sort of enrich our understanding, get our creative juices flowing. But I do think there's something just so special about what happens when you bring women together. So let me ask you, how often do you all get together in what combinations and around what specific purpose? Yeah, uh, we... um you know, such a, um, this podcast was such a nice moment to sort of reflect on this last year and, and that very question of how, how have we pushed the needle? How have we come together as a community? Are we stronger? Have we grown? And, you know, this last year we held more than 40 programs, bringing our members in connection with each other, um, mostly in person now, um, as we're mm -hmm. sort of juggling the kind of virtual in-person post-pandemic yeah. balance. But um, yeah, so we, you know, we, and it's, it's really different. It could be 10 women, you know, sitting around, you know, a kitchen table. It could be, you know, a workshop really delving into the complexities of navigating family relationships and philanthropy. It could be, you know, a luncheon where you have 50 women from different organizations coming together. I mean, I we really believe in partnerships. So my favorite thing is to bring different groups of women together and share their experiences and, and to, for everyone to get to know each other on the variety of different organizations in the movement. And, and for our members, and I think for women's rights globally, you know, this is an important time to be coming together and having, you know, these conversations. So you know, we might be talking about the rollback in reproductive rights and freedoms here and abroad, the climate crisis and how it's uniquely impacting women and girls, mm -hmm. the migration crisis that climate is contributing to, where we have more women and girls that are, you know, in a state of uncertainty and migration around the world to how do you use the power of storytelling and narrative and media and journalism and documentaries and art to tell the lived experiences of women. You know, it's really diverse, the areas in which our community is really investing in. And we try to sort of meet people where their interests are and then also really do a good job at elevating, you know, what we're hearing from leaders in these specific issue spaces, what they really need in order to do the work, because we don't need to make it up. Like, let's hear from the experts and let's have those experts tell us what they're seeing, what's working, what solutions could they move forward if they had more funding. That's, you know, getting back to that kind of fiber fiber optics of the movement, like if you come together in community and you you are able to really surface 
some of those solutions. And so it's been, it's been a really terrific year and, and also, you know, a troubling year too. I think that we yeah, try for sure, you know, well, lean into you know, the nature of the podcast, you know, born during these times and my thought that, and my, and now my honor and pleasure to get to talk to people doing the big work and see if we can't continuously, you know, weave in some play and lightheartedness. And sometimes it feels, you know, a little bit indulgent because you look at the news cycle and you think, you know, is it really a good day to eat ice cream and and, and talk about, about yeah. play? But but the news cycle is kind of going to happen regardless of what we decide to do and how we decide to build our resilience to stay in the work. And I think that, you know, thank you, your excitement about being on in the midst of none of the problems uh, took a day off. But we know that play is a form of rest as well. And we need to stay rested so that we can we can keep doing the work. For sure. For sure. I wanted to ask you, with a million dollars as the kind of the table stakes, right, to be in Women Moving Millions, how do you navigate that kind of the the haves and the have-nots and the wealth definitely that is kind of bespeaks that and the spectrum of people that you want to engage with and bring into the broader movements who have a range of lived experience? Um, Have you found, and I guess that's a question to community to community geographically, how have you found play as you're bringing combinations of people together, a useful tool to kind of level set and then get going on, on doing something together? Yeah, that's a great question. And a few questions in one. So, yeah. you know, I think <laughs> on the million dollar question, you know, I think, you know, philanthropy is for everyone. We have this extraordinary philanthropic tradition in this country. And whether you're giving, you know, $10 to your food bank or a million dollars to support policy change, to end, you know, poverty and hunger, all of that matters. Like every dollar matters. I personally feel so privileged for every single donation we receive. I think it is an honor. It's a responsibility. It's saying we believe in what you're doing. So it's something I'm so service oriented. I really take that seriously. But, you know, I was just asked this um, question at, at a women's funding conference in DC and and I said, I said the same thing. I said, you know, first philanthropy's joy. Like there's, you know, no, you know, numbers of zeros you need to have after it to be able to realize that joy. And, and truly, you know, every, every dollar matters, you know, for, um, you know, in this country, I mean, you just look at the statistics, less than 2% of philanthropic capital goes to women and girls, less than 2% of venture capital goes to women founded led businesses. And if you look globally, development aid, et cetera, it's the same. So everything matters. When we were founded at Women Moving Millions, we originally were two sisters, these extraordinary women, Ambassador Swanee Hunt, Helen Kelly Hunt, had an inheritance event. And they said, you know what? We really want to use this as an opportunity to inspire and encourage women to step into their resource power. So it wasn't about creating an exclusive ultra high net worth community. It was really about women owning the power that they have and the, the change that they can realize when they come together and move money and step into that power. So we raised through that campaign $180 million for over 40 women's funds globally. 
And that's our foundation. And then from there, the reason why we have that 10-year time horizon is we wanted to sort of make it more inclusive as we could. It's still a hurdle. So we wanted it to, to still be an aspirational thing that people could stretch mm-hmm. toward because we need to move more money. And then the right. second part of your question about play, I think that when in particular, when you're bringing together diverse groups of people, you have to create safe space first, right? Maybe you don't know each other that well. You have different lived experiences and perhaps different cultural traditions. Maybe you're coming together from different parts of the world. And I actually think that play can do a really effective job at breaking down some of those barriers that could prevent you from really doing the work together to, you know, surface solutions, to share knowledge, and for people to feel respected, heard, and all of these things. And I think it's so. I think it's such an important part of community and movement building. Do you have an example? I'm thinking something like more than just an icebreaker, something playful that you've tried that uh, that worked or that really delighted the the group. That's a really good question. Well, we every year we have a member day where, you know, we try to bring together the majority of, you know, our membership in the location that we're at. And uh, last year, I thought we did a good job at (laughs) we basically did like speed dating um, Mm -hmm. uh, with our members. And you just kind of had like 60 seconds. And I mean, the room was just filled with laughter. You kind of walk into this room and especially if you're a new member, you think like, oh gosh, I don't have my mm-hmm. stuff together. Like these women are moving millions. Like I got to get my right. stuff. <laughs> and it, 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 what it does is, and like really, you know, from all over and, and it just like that just allowed us specifically to just get there faster and then to get into some of the deep learning and sharing that we did later that day. So that's the most recent example of the thing that came to me because it just was like the laughter was like. I love it. In, like I got, I, I'll, <laughs> I've got one that I'll share with you that, that I did an event in New York. It's actually a year ago now. It was in, in, uh, in the fall or over a year ago, in the fall of ooh, whatever year that was, 22, I think. Um, I did a dessert salon. So I'm all about the ice cream and the sweets. And I rented vintage typewriters and we did impact haiku. And so when people came in, they either got a five syllable or seven syllable strip of text and they had to find someone with the other, right? Because a haiku is a five, seven, five structure with syllables. So if you had a five and I had a seven, we would get together and then we would go over to a typewriter and several of the folks there had never touched a typewriter because they were under 40 and or 30 and 40 even. And so I had a staff person there teaching people how to use the typer if they didn't know. And then we typed out the two stanzas together, or the two lines together, wrote a third line, and then as anyone wanted to, wrote additional lines to the poetry and or to the poem, and then and then read that out to the group if, if there was a desire to do so. And so that was, you know, there was the typewriter part. The sound of typewriters is playful because we don't hear that anymore and the ding. And then I had whiteout and people were getting familiar with what that was. <laughs> It was a lot of fun and it was a way for people to, you know, it, it had those kind of those fundamental things that you have when you're bringing a group together. Of how, how are people going to break the ice and how are they going to get to be familiar yeah. and give someone who's got less courage to introduce themselves to somebody a reason to do so because there's an activity going on. So I love that. that. Uh, I might borrow that. <laughs> there's a fun. cool resource in, in town in New York uh, that, that rents out typewriters with that, with that help. So I can tell you about that. 
Now let's talk a little bit about leadership because this is the CEO season. Is this the first time you've been a CEO? It is. It is. Excellent. What have you learned about yourself as a leader and how playful are you as a leader? As a leader, I really think of my leadership in the sort of service mindset. I really feel like that's in my DNA. And in some ways that has been perfect blend of leadership style, organizational culture, et cetera, because I do believe in this role, our, it is our responsibility to be working in service of the movement. And so, you know, I believe in, I'm probably a pretty humble leader. You know, I think this work is so hard to tackle alone. Like there's no one person who's going to do it alone. So I definitely believe that it requires some humility to tackle some of these big audacious problems. I love to laugh. I'm just going to say it like, you know, (laughs) it's just like, if you can find the moments where you can lean into laughter, I think that's huge. I also you worked for this extraordinary leader and founder of an organization called Facing History and Ourselves in, in Boston, who passed away about a year and a half ago. And it's this, you know, wonderful, you know, civic education organization working with teachers around the world, really with the goal of strengthening democracy, preventing future genocides, et cetera. And she developed and designed the richest learning culture that allowed you to just, I think, explore yourself, get to know your colleagues more, be nervous and vulnerable and all those mm-hmm. things. And I've that's always really sat with me that learning is like such a great component of organizational culture, in particular in the nonprofit yeah. sector, right? Like there's just endless opportunities to learn and you know, I, I find so much joy in getting to meet so many extraordinary movement leaders who are doing this. They, they give me hope. And I'd say the other thing I, I just sort of hold on to, and I think when you have spent time in the sort of anti-violence space, you you experience, you know, such a deficit mindset because, you know, you're struggling for money, you're working in trauma. It's really, really hard. And sometimes it's two steps forward, three steps back, you know? So I believe one of my core leadership values is around possibility. Mm. And, and I think that, you know, out of that comes like a real growth mindset of like, we can do this, like, let's lean into it. Let's be dynamic. Let's work collaboratively. I, I really believe in collaboration and that's a big part of our culture here. But I just think like possibility and and I think that applies to my leadership here, but I think it's also how it's part of now my kind of mindset in terms of how I see the world. Like, you know, we might not realize gender equality in my lifetime, but I believe it's possible. And yeah. I'm going to every day and I'm going to do the work. Everyone on my team is part of what is making that possible? And we're standing mm. on the shoulders of the people who believed in the possibility before us and before them and before them. And the work that we are doing is for the next generation. And and I, you know, that I think, you know, is a huge part of my my leadership style. I have not heard like the word possibility used as a value or a leadership tenant before. I, I think that's that's so it's so, it, it sounds like an open door. It's, it's really expansive. I really, thank you for sharing that. I really, I really like that and, and will 
I will use that and take that forward. I'd love you, if you wouldn't mind, please tell us the name of the woman you were referencing. I'd love to honor her by having you tell us her name. Sounds like she was really important to you. Oh, yeah. Margot Sternstrom, born in Nashville, Memphis, I'm sorry, Tennessee, and then spent her life in um, in Boston building this global organization. Really, Wow. And it's facing history in ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. She just was such a extraordinary wow. force. <laughs> extraordinary. I love it. I'm so, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. One of my questions I've been asking uh, your fellow CEOs is about role models and in, in terms of leading and leadership. And I love that, you know, she was that and it's her learning culture that, uh, that is what's, what I sounds like uh, moved you then and st- has stayed with you since. Let me ask you about the play personalities. If you had a chance to look at those, those are some sort of, they're sort of a key tenet of the Playful podcast from Dr. Stuart Brown. And I'm happy to um, repeat them for you if they're not top of mind. And got I wonder it. if you had a chance to look. There's, <laughs> oh, excellent. It. I did the quiz. Okay, so what, what, what resonated for you? Well, it said, so when I got, to, I'm an explorer. That's my oh, play. And did that sound right? Yes, it totally sounded right. I didn't, you know, absolutely. I I feel like we started this conversation around (laughs) exploration of, you know, the city that I'm privileged to live in. And and so, yeah, it really very much, I was like, yeah, I am an explorer. I do, I do enjoy that approach to life and play. And then that sounds like that fits perfectly with what you're just speaking about, about possibility, right? Because this is an exploring about what's the, what's around the corner, right? What's the next possibility either on a, on a physical journey out on the street or around the world or in your mind and your emotions. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. I do love so to live in a, in a really good historical novel, you know, and just get in there yeah. and yeah. So. Ooh, we'll have to do some, I, I'm also a historical fiction um, fan. So I'd love to um, swap some, some book titles. Maybe we'll put some in the show notes. Let me ask you about what you do for fun and what you do for no reason. And those might be the same thing or they might be two different things. Oh, that's a great question. What do I do for no reason? Hmm. I guess I cook. I love to cook. And I, yeah, great. And, you know, and it's usually, I mean, my, both my husband and I travel quite a lot. And, and so very often I, I could very, I could be the only one home, but I love to just look at like, what is in my fridge, throw it together Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, you know, no recipe. I love to just like be creative with food. So I think that's, that's for no reason at all, except for maybe nourishment, but right. I, and then you do get to eat. <laughs> I do get to eat, but I don't think it's always so healthy. So, um, you know, it just depends, it just depends. but, um, yeah, so that's, that's what I do probably when no one's looking. And then well, we'll that, sounds ex- ex- that sounds like an explorer also, exploring what's in your refrigerator and what you can do with it. I, I love it. It's very, you're very consistent with the themes here. It's very, I think you're, you're very aware of, of, you know, what moves you and then how you can move others, which is moving millions. Moving millions. The other part of the question was about, um, oh, kind of hobbies, pastimes, things you do for fun. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, I'm in New York, so I love going to Broadway. That is certainly an expensive habit. And I also love going to jazz shows. So, you know, music is such a central part of like my childhood and was a big part of our family life and still is. So I love to that. Like, as I said, I enjoy getting lost deeply 
in a book in a different place in a different time. I love film so much. And, you know, I, I I live close to, you know, Prospect Park. And I love when it's not cold to just go out on the weekend and walk around the park or bring a book and a blanket. And, you know, um, so I definitely try to create the space for myself when I'm not working to also, you know, restore. So, you know, I also, you know, love yoga I love my spin class. Working out, I was an athlete when I was younger. I played soccer amongst other things. And so for me, sport has always and will always be a big part of how I how I play. Yeah, that's and that's that uh one of the playful play personalities is is this word that's hard to pronounce, but it's kinesthete, which is oh. kind of the kinesthetic and kin- yeah. kinesiology. It's it's about movement. And it can be kind of rough and tumble play, but it also can be just moving through sports and et cetera. And I think, you know, a lot of us, and we all have more than one person play personality for sure. Let me ask you about kind of maybe circling back to the, does play get a bad rap in our sector? I was interviewing a Clara Miller, who was the retired CEO of the Heron Foundation, and she was the founder of the nonprofit finance fund. And she said she thinks that Humor in the nonprofit sector is like telling a joke in church. And, and huh. she's, she's a big fan of doing it. She, she does it all the time and she's, she's a rebel rouser. But um, what, do you, what do you think about that and how to make space for it? Because I think we'd probably all agree it is needed. Yeah, it is. It is needed. And I, I, I love that. You know, I think, you know, well, first, I feel like doing this, you know, thinking about playfulness was a little bit like doing therapy. <laughs> It's like, I don't know, how do I play? What defines my play? Who's part of my play? So, you know, it, it was just fun to to think more deeply about, about it. I think for women, you know, I think, gosh, we experience so many barriers to professional growth, specifically in the context of this conversation to executive leadership, that I think that and this could even be something that we have internalized ourselves that playfulness can be viewed by those around you as unserious and you know i feel like america ferrera's character in the barbie movie kind of points out the double standard that we face all in the world like we need to be confident confident but not assertive you know not make any mistakes be a perfectionist but be adaptable and flexible and you know, um, <laughs> and I think like being playful, being serious, I think it kind of fits into like these attitudes and beliefs that continue to kind of both hold women back in the workplace and also in some places probably, you know, prevent us from kind of being who we wholly are at work in our lives. And so I appreciate the elevation of it and the centering of it because. I think that, you know, these are all really things that real things that we grapple with. And I think it's important to be reminded that there's this space for it. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much. And um, we're going to take a break for ice cream. But before we do, let me ask you, if I may, if you've got a call to action for the audience, we can certainly back that up with resources in the show notes. But, you know, even even just sort of a, a thought to leave us with or an action you might call us to take. I would be remiss to not say you know, contribute if you can, whatever you can to your local women's foundation. They are the backbone of the movement and almost every state has one. So if you don't know where it is, or if you have one, 
Google it, find it. Mm -hmm. And they need your support now more than ever. And so get to know what's happening in your local community, in your state and, and do what you can. Ah, thank you so, so much, Sarah. So folks, uh, stick around. We're going to, we're going to come back and eat some ice cream and talk about um, what's the scoop on how you came to care and your impact origin stories. So stick around for that, folks. Thanks for being here. Sarah, so glad to see you. We had to interrupt our conversation yesterday um, and had to postpone the ice cream. So now we're back to have some ice cream together. So thanks for coming back for that. I guess it's a pretty, um, that's not that hard of an invitation to accept. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, call me for ice cream at any moment in time. Anytime. So folks, Taharka Brothers is the sponsor for this season and are generously shipping ice cream wherever in the country the guests are. Taharka Brothers, they're based in Baltimore, but they do have, it's basically available anywhere because they will ship it. And I can tell you, I have shipped to some fairly, you know, central places like New York City, where Sarah is, and also to some fairly remote places in like Central Valley of California. So um, it is getting there and getting there frozen, which is a pretty cool thing. So let's pull out what we've got. I'm going to open up. I have a little cooler here at my desk. Which flavor did you select? Oh, it had to be strawberry. Oh, nice. And it's roasted strawberry, right? Roasted, non-dairy. I'm very excited. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. I haven't tried it yet, though. I was waiting for you. No, it's perfect. Perfect, perfect. And I chose cookies and coffee because it's still before noon where I am. So I figured this is just kind of like having another cup of coffee. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Awesome. Let's dig in. And let's just get your first impression about this roasted strawberry vegan ice cream. Oh my God, it's so good. Mm. Does it remind you of strawberry ice creams you've had before? Better, actually. Mm -hmm. And you never know if it's dairy free. Mm -hmm. Mm. This is good. Glad I chose this one. I'm so glad too. (laughs) And folks, um, to Harkinson. Okay, so my my coffee and cookies and coffee is delicious also. It's kind of got like so, like an Oreo type cookie and coffee ice cream. Mm. Gotta love it. Mm. Okay, mm. lest we get distracted, which often can happen. At least I'll <laughs> speak for myself. <laughs> Let me yeah. first ask you about any ice cream memories. What does it bring up for you? You know, all the way back to being a kid or even is, it, is ice cream kind of currently part of your play repertoire? Oh, well, my husband is like, if there was a cookie monster for ice cream, he would be that character in life. (laughs) So there's always ice cream in our house. But I picked strawberry because it actually does remind me of my childhood. First, like, who eats strawberry as an adult? Like, it's never an option, but it should be. And it reminds me, do you remember those, was it Neapolitan ice mm-hmm. creams? With three stripes? You get with the three stripes. And like, I feel like I was the one in the family that always only ate the strawberry section of it. We needed um, you in my family because the chocolate yeah, and vanilla were down to the bottom and the strawberry was just sort of standing there unmolested. <laughs> I know. Well, and I'm the youngest child. I have two older sisters that are five and seven years older than me. So... It's hard to really remember if it really was my preference or did I just get the short end of the stick and there really was only strawberry left and I decided that it was my thing anyways. I love it. (laughs) I love it. And did you go out for ice cream? Was that like an outing of the family? Um, you know... I can't, honestly, I don't think so. But during the summers, I lived at the outdoor swimming pool. And so, of course, afterwards, we'd go to the Dairy Queen and have blizzards and 
all the other things that they had. God, I'm trying to remember the name of the ice cream pop that they had that had the like encasing around it. Wait, is that the is Did, that the orange and chocolate thing? Yes. So yes, I used to go with yes. my friends on my bike after yeah. swimming yeah. for about 150 hours every day. And then we'd have ice cream. I love it. Yeah, you mentioned you were a competitive athlete and was swimming your sport, or at least one of. You know, no, it wasn't. I swam for my freshman year and I realized it just wasn't social enough for me. Oh. So having my head in the water for like three hours just didn't really satisfy. So as an adult, I actually love to swim. So, you know, we're so lucky we have a full length pool in our building in Brooklyn. And so I do swim all the time as an adult. It's been the best thing. But no, I played soccer for 11 years and basketball. That was that was my thing. So one of the things we do, if I needed an excuse to eat ice cream is to have the play on words with this question. What's the okay. scoop on how you came to care? And you're, mm. you know, 25 years or so in the sector, you know, so many different issues of importance. Do you remember sort of an early moment where you kind of figuratively kind of looked up and like saw the world through the lens of problems that existed and the feeling that you had a potential role in helping solve them? I totally do. I think I had shared yesterday that my both my parents were were educators, but my father was a special education high school teacher. And so I'm from Wisconsin originally. And he was one of the longest practicing special ed high school teachers in the whole state. And as the youngest child, I used to get kind of sent a little bit everywhere. <laughs> and so, but I used to go with him to work and I would, you know, I'd he'd put me in a corner and I'd do my thing for a while. And I was intimately familiar with his work and with the just wide range of um, challenges that his students were facing. I now today, I really think I'm as like a child advocate and almost a social worker. But I was exposed to that all the time. The challenges of being in an abusive home, for instance, and how that affects your life outcomes, in, you know, in early on in education and to see all he would do to sort of tirelessly advocate for kids. So I was absolutely a part of that. And then during the summers, he ran the Milwaukee Council Boy Scout camp. So my poor mother and three girls would go up to Upper Peninsula, Michigan, and we would go into the deep woods and spend our summers in the Boy Scout camp. So we're all Boy Scouts. Like we did not do the Girl Scout. We have our merit badges and all the things. But I think my father really saw that as his service. His parents passed away when he was 17 and 19. And so he believed deeply in mentorship for young people. And so that was a real passion of his. How can you create this enriching environment for a week where you can, you know, these young boys can leave their lives and be in the woods, test their leadership, you know, their knowledge and all these things. And so that very much for me is part of my foundation. And with my mother, I mean, she was there right along. She's a volunteer for everything. <laughs> but I think these issues, like, I don't think, I think when we were younger, we probably called it the haves or the have nots. And, you know, what can you do to try to, you know, equalize and create sort of opportunity for people. And so, but now we really, we talk about it in terms of equity, right? And, and so that was so much part of I think the DNA of our family and our my sisters are the same way. They've chosen different career paths, but that was my childhood. So there's 
No question, when I went to school, I went to the University of Minnesota and I got a degree in political science. There was no question for me that I wasn't going to choose a career of mission and service. And I did. I knew that's what I wanted to do. Man, I love, I mean, talk about those summers with just, I mean, to me, that summer story you just shared over multiple summers of your growing up is the essence of bringing fun to the serious work of changing the world, which is the tagline of the podcast, right? And I suspect too, in the classroom, your father incorporated play and play strategies for individual and group experiences that would bring those kids together, give them opportunity, exposure, and confidence they might not have had. And I'm sure he was wildly creative with different ways to do that on any given day or week. And you, you know, maybe you were specifically paying attention or you were just absorbing it. That's a beautiful story. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I would say that a couple things are the through line for the folks that come on the podcast. And one is ice cream, of course. That's a big group. And then the other one is this, I have this sense that, you know, I've, I've shared this before that I think there's, I mean, I'm oversimplifying, but as a, I make a point, there's maybe three kinds of people broadly. There's those that, you know, don't see the bigger problems in the world. They're pretty much focused on what's right around them, themselves and their family. And, you know, God bless that, right? Then there's those that see the problems and think, oh man, I hope someone's working on that. And then there's this amazing group that I get to work with, you included, who see that and think, what can I do? And I want to thank you for being that kind of person and for bringing together hundreds of other women to do that work. And that's just in your current iteration, but all over your career and especially right now. And um, I'm really looking forward to watching the continuation of women moving millions and you and now, you know, our, our relationship and friendship and all the play that we might have along the way. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I will just say it's just been such a pleasure to just be thinking relentlessly about play. I can feel my parasympathetic nervous system. I don't know, changing and evolving. It's such a good practice. I was talking to my team after we spoke yesterday and I said, you, you all have to sit with these questions Mm -hmm. over break because it's going to make you feel I don't know, just energized and renewed and connected by doing it. So I really want to thank you for giving me the space to do it. It was fantastic. Well, thanks for the very explicit explanation of of, of how it has felt and and what it has meant. You know, as I'm doing the podcast, I'm like, you know, and you telling me this reinforces this belief of mine, which is that just even if sort of quote, quote unquote, nothing else happens beyond we have a conversation that some certain number of people listen to. And for sure, you and I have had an experience that buoys our spirits. We turn around and whoever we impact, family, friends, colleagues, maybe that carries on a little bit. And then this little bit of ripple. Like, And if it turns out that, you know, thousands of people listen and all of them adopt play strategies, great. It feels like it's a contribution. And, and you just really reinforce that for me. And I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. Thank you. Okay. So, hey, I come to New York a lot. So, like, I'm going to be there the week of... February 18th or something like that. Um, but I'm there like four or five times a year. So I'll definitely let you know when I'm going to be in town. Do. Please do. Maybe we can do something together. I'd fun. love it. And you know, this is what I do. This is what my company does. Impactful. I do these kinds of play retreats and retreat facilitation, meeting facilitation. So if there's any, like that typewriter thing I told you about yesterday, like that was like, yeah. I brought that to an organization to have that experience. So I haven't even had, I don't think 10% of the ideas that are out there to still be had. So I'm still kind of, you know, kind of <laughs> open to what's the next, what's the next idea to do something to unlock something. And those usually come in conversation with a friend, colleague, client, you know, like about what they're trying to accomplish. So yeah. 
Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Keep it in mind. Off to the holidays. Enjoy sharing that ice cream or not, right. depending on no one really needs to know you have those. Well, I guess we just hold everyone, but this won't air till after the holidays. So you can keep those five other pints quiet if you want. Although your husband will know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. Exactly. Okay. Wonderful. Have a good end of year and start to 2024. Awesome. And thanks for making this extra time today. That was really fun. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. So, well, we just had so much fun, Sarah and I, roaming around our conversation um, around play and impact. And, you know, we touched on everything from, you know, sexual and domestic violence to migration to the climate crisis, you know, the, the issues of our times. And I think we did so in a playful spirit because we see in each other, and I think we know in our listeners that there is this commitment to the cause, the causes, and then there is also a commitment to self and family and community and all that takes some play so we can keep up our spirits. So, and, and Sarah, I just wondered what lasted for you from this conversation we just had. What might you take with you playfully as you go out to the rest of your day? I'm going to take, I mean, it's resolution or intention setting time. I'm, I'm shifting to intention setting time. So I do think my intention for next year is to bring more play back into my life. And I think in this pandemic period, it's been hard for everyone and the world is not in a easy place right now. So I think, you know, ensuring that there's space for play because it's such an important part of well-being and to think about how it manifests in my leadership. So I just encourage everybody to kind of go through that journey themselves. And I've made a note, I gotta be honest, that when I'm next in New York, you would probably be willing to go with me to play on Broadway. You'd probably be interested in a spin class or maybe get a hot pretzel and walk around the park. We'll get a slice. We'll we'll find a nice bench somewhere and <laughs> and catch up. I love it. I love yeah. it. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it and appreciate you bringing me on. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to the Playful Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you know of a leader or organization that's doing good in the world and you'd love to help us help them amplify their message, I would love to have them on the show. Go to the show notes and click there or go to impactfulinc.com slash contact. And that's impactful with two L's, inc.com slash contact. And let us know who you're thinking about. Can't wait to see you next time.